Hey. All right. Let's see. So this talk is about the next generation of web maps for the National Park Service. Let's see. And oh, yeah, this is great. So we're doing the next generation of web maps, which I don't know if you saw the uh, web mapping uh, shootout, I forget what it's called, uh, yesterday, but we're switching a lot of our stuff over to MapLibra GLJS. We've been using MapboxJS for, or Mapbox GLJS for a while, and Leaflet, and I'll talk about that a little bit more. But. So the National Park Service is known for these beautiful places, like this is Acadia. Um, down in the bottom corner, you can see what we work on. We work on these maps. We work on the icons that go on it. And we have a cartographer who does a lot of, the, a lot of good work making these things um, accessible to users. Another great park we have is Denali. This is totally the other side of the world than Maine. I like this picture because there's a bear in it. I think that's a bear. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a rock. Uh, now I'm a little upset. It's just a rock. Um, but we have, in our map, we have really cool glaciers. Uh, and we can really show how all this stuff kind of works together. I think this stuff's great. This is what we try to do. Try to make, make you see this kind of background when you see our map, which... Um, Sometimes translates, sometimes doesn't, but also more importantly, finding the visitor center and finding any other amenities you need while you're in the park. Um, the National Park Service is also known for these, um, they're called Unigrid maps, and you can read all about it. I think I put a, no, I didn't actually put the link there. Uh, you can Google it, what a Unigrid map is. They have a whole video on it. Um, I stole this picture from there, and then I was forced to cite it, uh, but they really go into detail how that's done. We don't really do anything with them other than look at them. Um, but this talk's not so much about how cool our maps look. It's about data standards and community standards and um, I really like to say government standards, which scare everybody away. This is an, this is an actual standard for some USGS, uh, I think, topo maps. They put a lot of work into it. I just held the key down as I screen record it, and I got this cool animation. Um, we do a lot of other stuff, collecting data um, from all the parks. Every park is different. We don't have this cool top-down approach that you would expect uh, uh, just for a government agency, we kind of are w the website team, and then we have every single park over here. We can go to each individual one. There's a hierarchy there where they're underneath certain levels of GIS, but if there's something wrong in that park, it's kind of up to them to, to meet the standard and get the data to us. And this is me talking all about that in 2014. You can go find that video and watch it if you want to hear about our data standards back then. They're not too different. Um, and the idea here, this was a really good idea I got from Andrew Hill, who used to work at Cardo and uh, spoke at a Cardo location conference in 2018. Uh, the idea here is you can have a centralized API. This is kind of like a commercial software. You hit that API, everything is top down, everything follows whatever they do, they'll, they'll release a new version, all of the data will just change and be part of that. It's usually a proprietary system and it's great, but once you want to pull out of that, it becomes like a walled garden and you're stuck. So the other side is this decentralized idea and 
this was kind of where we need to be anyway because our situation with there being tons of parks and tons of data out there. So we're trying to build all of our tools to be based on community standards, based on uh, good documentation and protocols. And I also wanted to mention Todd Barr had a really good uh, mapscaping podcast about this. And also they did a talk recently that was kind of the same thing. Um, and I also wanted to, I, I just built this slide like five minutes ago, and, and Randy, I was able to find that picture. Um, just, it's a community, especially the open source community. Everybody kind of works together. We can share code. Um, I know that a lot of what I put into my code is stuff that I've used source from somebody else. I try to put comments on where it came from. Um, that's usually a good thing, so when it's broken, you have someone you can blame. Um, and oh, I don't know what this slide's about. Huh. Oops. Um, I went too far. How do I go back? Weep. There we go. And this was a slide I saw earlier today that I actually thought was really cool. Uh, the idea is that we're kind of in this initial stage where we're just trying to figure out what we want to do. Um, I thought this one was great. This was earlier today. So I, I took a, a photo of it and threw it in here. So just quickly, our history of what NPMAP was and is. We started out with just leaflet. We had raster tiles coming in from, uh, I think we were using, what was it called? It was Tile Mill at the time. We built all of our tiles on Tile Mill um, on a Mac Mini or something? No, an iMac that was sitting in the corner. It took two days to build just the US. But we did it, and we added these tiles out there. They're styled as um, NPS style, and we did have boundaries on them. As Tile Mill got better, and we got more stuff, we were able to get the points of interest in there. And then we got lines, points, and polygons. We have a group of five things. It's uh, parking lots. I always forget the parking lots, buildings, roads, trails, and points. Um, there's still a lot of issues with them, but we're trying to get better. Uh, and in PMAP 4, we finally moved everything to vector tiles. And I remember back in like 2005 or 2004, 2004, 2013, 2014, we were saying like, oh, once everything's in vector, it's going to be better. Uh, it's better, but it has other problems now. So yeah, you always just find something new to work on. Uh, with NPMAP 4, though, we moved um, we moved to, we still have Leaflet as a base, and now we're using Mapbox GLJS on top of it. This was a trick I learned from the uh, Open Historical Map. They built their system like that, and I looked at it and said, hey, we could do that to ours. And that's what we did in the background here. I guess it's not super easy to see. In that background, though, it does have an NPMAP4 map. This is our state pages map, and we call it for Maryland. So NPMAP5 is built using uh, MapLibra. Um, after that mapping library shootout, I found that MapLibra is actually pretty fast. So I was like, I'm glad I chose this one, because I just chose it because it's what I knew best. Uh, I'm skipping around from the order of these things on here, sorry. Um, one of the things that's really cool about it is it uses uh, TypeScript, which is different. I know it may not be everybody's favorite, but it does allow uh, really easy documentation and the ability to create these documents called TypeDoc, and you can put cool comments in there. And that really keeps it so it's all 
easy for everybody to follow and we can bring interns in who don't even know anything about what we're doing, they can just work on it. Uh, and the idea here also is we want to make it all standard, all plugins, so anybody in the community can just take something we made, put it on their own map, and they don't need to make it look like the NPS at all. But also, hopefully, they find something that's broken with it and fix it and say, hey, you don't know what you're doing. This is how you should do it. Um, I like that. That's what we should be doing. Um, I like in TypeScript, we use VS Code. It's really cool that it will read your type doc directly out. So as you're typing, it's just like, oh, sure, let's do that. All right. So what I wanted to get to really is all the plugins that we've created. Uh, if you go out now and look at um, Map Libra's plugins website, they got a bunch here. And I'm sure you might notice something odd about the naming convention here. Um, many of them are not really Map Libra plugins. They are Mapbox GL plugins, which kind of work with Map Libra, but as Map Libra changes directions from Mapbox GLJS, that's going to slowly change. Um, some of these, like this accessibility plugin, it's actually really cool, but it was written once, like six years ago. Uh, don't quote me on that one. Um, but a while ago, and it, it does not keep up with what we need in like the park service as far as accessibility. So, sorry I stole this picture from ChatGPT. Um, but I just wanted something fun there. Um, so, if anybody really wants to follow along in the code, I doubt anybody really does, but if you do, I put this QR code in that goes to a CodePen collection. I have all of this stuff in CodePen. Um, so you can go view it and play with it as you want. Uh, these are our, uh, I guess, four, five, I'd say five plugins. I did a survey in the Whova app to see who was interested in what, and it seems like the overview map was the most, generate the most interest. I, I don't, I don't know why that's true, but. So the easiest one that we do is a home button. And this is something I couldn't find in MapLibreJS. If this exists, it would be good. Then I don't have to write my own. But we wrote our own. It's a little home button. It's an SVG in the corner. You press it, and then you can, whatever you do, you move the map wherever. You press the home button, it takes you back. That's something that's built into Leaflet now. It's really great because if you don't know anything about building a plugin, you can just go look at this one. It's not a whole lot of code. I think half the code is drawing that SVG. I just threw the SVG in the code. Um, yeah, I got a lot of code pens here, but we don't need to go into each of them. This one is the overview, which apparently was a, a fan favorite. Um, so there is an overview control already for Map Libra, but it didn't follow the way the NPMAP 4.1 worked. So this one just kind of allows you to move either in the map or um, on the ground. <laughs> and that's my favorite part is that you can tilt it. Uh, so what I basically am doing here is I just draw that polygon based on the, the four corners of the map. Um, there's some weird things you can't do. If you zoom out too far, then you, when the, the Earth overlaps itself, it just gives up and says, you're looking at the whole thing. Um, yeah. So the other thing that MapLibre does not support is SVGs. They support some kinds of different um, sign distance icons, I think it's called, or something. That's something you can support in their color. Or you can uh, apply colors to them, but... They're, they're tricky to work with, and they don't have the right resolution. So what we do is we render them on the fly at the resolution that you are viewing the screen at. 
And I don't know if you've seen on computers now, you can do like control plus and control minus to change the size of the viewing area. That does weird things with the, uh, the pixel ratio. It can be like 1.75 and, and so we, we no longer deal with just like 1x and 2x and 4x like we used to. We just say, let's render it on the fly in the browser. And one of the cool things is we can support um, animated PNGs or SVGs. Um, and this draws them into the canvas directly. So they get drawn in the canvas. They technically, if you look what it's doing, it just draws that SVG in the background somewhere and it takes snapshots of it and applies it to the screen. Um, MapLibre GLJS does support animated icons. The, the real use you have for them is when you click on something, it's great to have an update with an animation so someone knows what they clicked on. Um, and you can read all about that in the code pen. Um, as I talked about a long time ago when I was showing you the Acadia and Denali maps, we have these icons. And this is something that we revamped for Map Libra. These icons were always written in SVG to begin with. Um, but we made two kinds. We made 14 pixels and 22 pixels. Uh, and then we'd, we'd put these into a PNG sprite, and then we'd send that PNG out to the browser. We'd have to make the uh, one times and two X and four four X resolutions. So now, if we just send it as a PNG, or sorry, we send it as an SVG. That's the first word in SVG: scalable. We can scale them to whatever size you need, so they'll always look correct, maybe. Um, for the smaller ones that go down below 14 pixels, we simplify them just because you don't have a lot of resolution. So we kind of get, got rid of this idea where we had every icon would have a 14 and a 22 uh, pixel ratio or pixel 14 by 14, yeah, size. We got rid of that idea now. Anything that doesn't need to have anything removed, we just leave it at 14. That scales to infinity, theoretically. Um, or scales down to zero. I switch the screen, yeah. And the other way uh, we can still do, if, if you need stops along the way, you can have it. And it just kind of, when you tell it what size icon you want, it kind of looks in that bag and picks what the best one is. And that logic was decided by our cartographer. Um, and this is an example. These are some more SVGs we draw on there. And this was the big thing that we needed that is not just built into MapLibre, is an interactivity plugin. And this allows us here, we have a pop-up and a mouse over. And when you mouse over like a circle, it can change color. Uh, this is an island off the coast of Canada that's technically part of France. I just like islands for demos. Um, and you can see it can highlight the SVG and, and do all this fun stuff. I think I may have gone over the lines. So it can highlight the line when you mouse over that or select it as well. And this just shows when you tilt and pan, which is something that we did not support before, that your icons stay in the right spot and everything looks somewhat correct. Um, the other thing that we really want with this is accessibility, where you could tab to each thing in the map. And this is something that we're working on. It's great for something here. I just enabled wood as something you could tab to. It works great. 
Uh, we do have a problem where we have 430 park units. You don't want to tab the 430 things. It's basically useless. So something we're working on. Um, with these pop-ups, we also built a templating library. And this one's fun because there's four panels here. The top one is the template. The top right is the output. The bottom left is the data that you would use. This would be like a GeoJSON properties would be in there. And then the bottom right is the error uh, console. So we wrote this with an error console so we can create stuff that highlights what's wrong with your, your code and hopefully allow you to fix it. Um, this one's kind of long. I don't know how long I want to watch it, but we use Markdown, so you can use the like the hash pound symbol to to write it out, and then we use handlebars to take the word or the, or the value name out of there, and then we have a bunch of libraries. One one is called Color. You can change the color of anything with that. Here we're trying to change the color of the text project with the color, whatever's in color one, which was red, I just changed it to color two. We support all HTML colors. We just pass that directly to the browser. Whatever the browser makes it, we uh, put out to, to the user. Um, I don't really want to wait around and watch all this, but we can also support arrays, um, which uh, here, I'm going too fast for this animation. You could also do this in the code pen. I decided to make an animation in case the code pens were not ready. Um, so you can just do for each item in there, you can return this or value. You can also get like the first, last, um, if it's first or last in the list, or you can get the index. Uh, and that's, oh yeah, and this is cool. If you put the asterisk in front of it, it becomes a list, and that is then using markdown. So we just merge them two both together, and we have this cool error log on the side. So that's how we make our pop-ups. Uh, but there's a lot that needs to be done to make these better. Um, I think I mentioned with the accessibility, uh, we were thinking just having like a list there of the um, the tabable areas that you can go through that's drawn in the DOM. Uh, you can sort, you can use other tools, just because tabbing through a map of 430 things is excessive. Um, let's see. Oh yeah, the other thing that's really weird is when you tab to something and you open up the pop-up, when you press escape on that, it kind of clears the whole DOM and it rewrites it, and we we need to keep track of yeah, where you were, and that's a little bit a little bit not perfect yet. It kind of works, but if you move the screen at all, it has to redraw everything on there, and then it gets a new index. So. Um, that's kind of a pain. And in our pop-ups, we have the ability when you click on something and there's like five things under it or five things nearby, we use a buffer. We just draw a bounding box, really, from your mouse click. And we get a full list of it. Sometimes that list can be huge if there's a bunch of layers. And we use CSS to try to make it look better. But there's probably more intuitive ways to deal with large lists. And both these problems really deal with that, uh, that issue of things just there's too much. Um, and we also do data format plugins. This is also something I stole from ChatGPT. Um, I like how I can't parse language properly, so everything's spelled weird. Um, so there's there's two libraries, three libraries here. Uh, I'm going to go out of order because I didn't draw. I didn't put a slide in for WMS. Uh, that was just a really easy. Um, 
really easy raster library to draw the raster tiles into the map. That's already kind of basically supported by MapLibra. But I just wanted to build an interface to make it so you can just send the values you need and it kind of builds that WMS string for you. It's kind of a proof of concept of building these vector um, vector libraries that we added later. So the next one that I have on there is vector text formats. I did this the wrong order. Um, this one that I did not do a very good demo of and I don't even have a link. The code is in the GitHub though. Um, this one I released a while ago before I even started on this project. And this one kind of um, is just a, a way of bringing in, here, I have the full list here, all of these different formats and converting them. It does this all in web workers. So instead of taking up the visual aspect of the browser, it's using something in the background. It doesn't have to use web workers if you don't have them. A lot of this code came, or a lot of this backend stuff just hits uh, atomic rights libraries that were written for Placemark. Uh, we just took them and added them to ours so we could add SVG or SVG, CSV and TSV and all these different language support. It looks really fancy when I write it all out, but these are all things someone else wrote and I just built a library around. And this was the really cool one that I don't know if a lot of people here would be excited about, but in in the US government, we have a lot of people who really like using uh, ArcGIS Online. ArcGIS Online um, allows you to get uh, Esri JSON out of it, but they also have another format that's like this Esri JSON PBF. And if you use that, everything's really fast. And this this kind of shows how we can use that. When you zoom in, you can see it. It kind of gets better uh, because it's it. It kind of renders what it needs to render at the time, and when you zoom in, it'll, it'll get a better version of that. And you can kind of see it, it gets a little bit better. This is not, not the most detailed layer. This is just one that Esri has out there that anybody can use on a sample server. Um, you can click around on that in the code pen as well. All right. Um, so yeah, there's more stuff I want to do, more plugins we need. We need to have, one thing is attribution, and this kind of falls into this whole um, accessibility feature, which is something that's really big for us. Uh, but since all of our data is open data, and you can just take it and do whatever you want, I would love to have the ability in the, in the attribution say, this is where this data came from, this is the exact source. You can download exactly what we have, or you can download it from the source. And even just supporting the user to download it in GeoJSON, would be great because they can go through it in QGIS and or any other, any library they want. If they can't see our map, they can get the data out. They can make their own product. We're not trying to wall anybody in. And I think the attribution plug is a really good place to put that. Um, we also want to do legends. So right now we do we have legends on our maps, but they're generally handmade. Where we say that this is what we want to display, and this is how it shows up. We've tried in the past doing these automated automated legends. They're not so good. Um, it's really hard to guess what's on the map and what the user's trying to get out of it. Uh, but we're trying to figure out some way that we can hit a balance. And another great thing is these filters. And uh, people that are coming to the park really only care about a few things. Like if you're going to Yellowstone, maybe you only care about seeing geysers. We'd like them to be able to select like, okay, I want to see the geysers, the visitor centers, and the restrooms. I don't care about camping. I'm not camping. So they can pull those things off the map. Um, or if you are camping and you want to find your exact campsite, you could filter out campsite A31 and it would be able to show you that where 
we do have a search feature now, but it would be kind of cool if we could do that. And also, I just added this slide like 10 minutes ago. Um, while I was sitting in the talk about um, all the routing stuff, we have routing built into one of our plugins called GeoTools. And this is kind of a next step that I want to do is take a lot of this core logic for just basic things that everybody has to do in geospatial analysis and take it out of the particular plugins and throw it into this GeoTools library. Um, I, didn't, I ended up not using Dijkstra's algorithm for this and using A star. It's a little bit simpler and we already had a graph database in there, so that's the direction we went there. All right. I also wanted to talk about how we're going to build this all into one big application called npmet 5 base. Um, I like the last one where I was like, it should be fully documented and will allow anybody to create things that are saved or not saved. That's not done yet, but we're working on it. And that's all I really got. These are links to everything. If you scan that with your phone, you'll get the slides. And you can go find more about us and Colorado State and National Park Service. And yeah, so questions, I guess. All right. Uh, Jim, is there any uh, potential or sort of totally unrelated to the, the Open Street uh, uh, Trails Initiative and your new flexibility in terms of new capabilities that came out of that? There is a lot going on. So, so your question was just about how we are working with the trails data and if, that, if doing this stuff can improve um, upon that. Uh, there's a lot going on there. We are building on some new features that allow you to, to save trail closures and different things like that. And we're definitely using this library to do that. A lot of our problems now with the NPS data are just topology. Also trails kind of overlap each other and in OpenStreetMap it's really easy to do with routes and that's how everything's set up. We're trying to figure out how we can get that into our, or to meet our current data models and there's a lot of work going on that, with that right now and uh, if you go to the OpenStreetMap desk over there, um, Diane Fritz will really talk to you all about the Trails project. That one's really cool. All right.